Welcome to the Carl Reader Show. Hello and welcome to the Carl Reader Show. Now, this episode is an episode that's been recorded live. So that means it might be a video that's been recorded on site or perhaps a keynote presentation that I've delivered. What I want to do is just let you know that the audio quality on this will not be up to speed compared to our studio recordings. However, I believe that the content is well worth your time listening. So enjoy the recording. Let me know what you think of it on social media. And if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Be Your Own Boss podcast. And today I'm delighted to have on the show Chloe Wesley of the Taxpayers Alliance. So Chloe, how are you? I'm fantastic. How are you doing? I'm very, very good. And let's kick off by um, just asking you to introduce yourself to the mm-hmm. listeners. Who is Chloe? Girl, what a question. <laughs> Philosophical question. Well, I mean, usually the answer to that is, what do you do? Um, and I, I do politics. Uh, I, I work for the Taxpayers Alliance. Uh, I campaign for Brexit on the Leave campaign. Um, but I, I do a lot more than that. I, I have a column in Conservative Home where I write about what I think the Conservative Party should be doing with lowering taxes. Um, and I also have a creative side, so I write poetry. Sometimes I do stand-up poetry, which is very talkies and hilarious for people watching. Um, and I, I know, I'm still a bit volunteering, so I, I try to make sure that whilst politics is my job, I'm still very much a, a person outside of politics. Fantastic. So we will touch on politics and in particular the tax system for small businesses. Uh, so I know that you'll have some um, nuggets of wisdom to share and your views on how the world should be structured. But if we take a step back, how did you fall into the political world? It's a really good question. Um, usually the question is why. Okay. Uh, it is, is, you know, why would you go into politics? Mm. Um, it's, it's a very good question because what you see of politics is tends to be very nasty, negative and a little bit tribal. Um, and you know, someone said to me recently, actually, like, well, quite a, you're quite a creative and sensitive person. Why have you chosen to go into a profession which is quite actually insensitive? Um, it, it is a good point, but I, I think maybe politics needs a bit more heart. At the moment, we're faced with, in, in my opinion, in a rise of globalism that is leaving people behind. Sure. We're seeing uh, the political process being taken away from, from people. So power being taken away from them, they're just kind of supranational organisations. And for me, these, these issues are about, are about heart and soul matter. It's about the rights of the individual. It's about saying, no, actually, I'm, I'm a person. You can't just take half of my income away from me and spend it how you please. I want to have a say in how that's spent. You can't take away my right to have a say in the rules that are going to govern me. Um, and so for me, I approach politics very much from a, a kind of passionate philosophy and not from a, an economic pragmatism. Okay, so I'm going to accuse you of being a politician then. Actually, <laughs> answer the question. Oh, how are um, how, what, what, what steps did you took? Was it something that you had always wanted to do? I think it was, you know. I, I was, I've always been fascinated by it. I was a political dog sure. at school. Everyone thought I was a bit strange. And then I just started volunteering. So I volunteered in Australia, where I'm from, um, for some candidates. I started out a bit more left-wing than I am now. Okay. I think a lot of people are more left-wing in their younger years. Sure. Um, 
But it was it was really through through lots of reading and, and, and getting to know philosophy that I came to be more of an individualist in my thinking and really like the idea of freedom. So I was just volunteering with people and over here I volunteered with a conservative MP um, for free. And then one day he offered me a job. Fantastic. And that was my kind of gateway into politics. Okay, and was that job with the Leave campaign or was it before? That was before, so that okay. was um, in Parliament with a conservative MP. Sure. And then with, with Brexit, I very strongly used, I very strongly believe that Britain should leave the EU. And it was about that individual, you know, sovereignty, the sovereignty of the individual to have more control over their own lives. Um, and so I, I felt very privileged actually to be on that campaign. I didn't think we were going to win. I, I felt as though it was an important thing to fight for, sure. but not really a winnable battle. And then when we did win, I was. I was blown away. Mm, I, I, so I was a Brexit voter, and from exactly the same perspective, I didn't think that the Leave vote would win. Um, and I think there's been, I'll be interested in your views, I think there's been a general misunderstanding that the Leave vote was only about immigration, mm -hmm. and it was only about not, not liking people who are different than you. But actually, the depth of feeling about Europe was really quite strong, and you know, of people that I knew and I, you know, that I grew up with, associated with and so on, I wouldn't know a single Remainer. Mm. Whereas in business, funnily enough, it's very hard to find a lever. Mm. I think it's, with the business side of things, we have groups like the CBI and, and trade organisations which really just speak the big business, mm. in my opinion. Um, and a lot of these business lobbying groups tend to speak the big business. There aren't too many surveys of small businesses mm, in my mm. and, and I think actually there are different priorities. So what we saw with the EU was a very cushy relationship with multinational corporations. If you're a very large organisation, um, it actually doesn't make sense to campaign for free market policies. You, are, you want barriers to enter Absolutely. these markets. And so you have these, these large companies, cushy relationship with bureaucrats in Brussels, who actually were pushing for barriers to entry. So if you put this regulation in, it might be harder for my competitors to mm. enter the market. Um, and so I can completely understand from a big business perspective why they would want the status quo. The status quo is working for them. It's not working for small businesses no. and it's not working for the little guys. No, and I think there's a, there's another aspect to this as well. So when you look at the likes of the MSB, for example, the release surveys, um, from a small business perspective, there's very little motivation to actually respond to a survey unless you've got something to say. And you only, you only have something to say if you are directly impacted by it. Um, and I feel that there's... So for me, um, within most of the talk about Brexit, there's been a, a lack of promotion of the opportunity that a Brexit done properly should afford us. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And... I don't want to say that I speak to businesses. I meet new people every day with lots of different ideas about how the world should be. But I, I think that voice is missing. Yes. And I did meet a lot of small businesses on the campaign who had particular beefs with the EU on a regulation in their industry. Um, there were lots of individual cases. So when we talk about regulating, it's little things like labelling. I visited a, um, a you know, manufacturing business who had labels on, on their products and because of the EU's legislation on labelling they had to use twice as much plastic 
No. And it's rather unnecessary in our opinion to have that. So lots of little things. It's not you know, no silver bullets do very lazy. No, but I also think there's some but for me there's some quite large bits of legislation. You know, GDPR for mm. example, which is absolutely horrific. Especially um, if you're a small organization. Yeah, VAT um, one stop shop. Again, that's absolute nightmare. So when when people ask me how have you been affected by the EU, uh, like GDPR and it's about thirty grand for us. Really? Yeah, so um, that's our very own experience. Um, so tell me, Chloe, I'd be really interested to hear your vision for um, small businesses in the future post Brexit. Mm. How do you see it? Well, I think two things have happened. You've got the actually leaving the EU, the, the foreign policy needs to be correct. I, I don't think it, it helps small businesses to just have the status quo, which is you know, Theresa May's offering her deal is pretty much just controls on immigration. Um, and they won't have any MEPs in Parliament. They're still following those regulations, still still in the customs union. So we need a proper Brexit, first of all. Um, but on the domestic side of things, I think tax simplification is really important. So what was interesting is I've been speaking to a lot of small businesses about, is there any particular tax that needs to change or be lowered? Um, a lot of people say business rates, and I'll come on to that in a second. But what was interesting is, over and over again, I keep on hearing I don't mind paying my taxes, but it's so bloody complicated. Mm. And every new year they add in a new exemption or change. And I'm spending a, a lot of time, which, I, which could be spent with staff or with customers, just trying to figure out which rules and regulations are Sure, me. sure. <laughs> so tax implication would be fantastic. Definitely. And I think a, um, an easy win for the government, from my personal perspective, is VAT. Mm-hmm. You know, VAT is obviously under a visual EC directive. And it's horrific. You know, when, when you're looking at, uh, let's say, a cafe opening up, uh, differences between hot and cold food, whether it's yeah. eaten on premises or not. Um, but a lot of this stuff is actually tired by um, the EU laws. So, so what, what would your views be on VAT? Where, where would you think that some mm. quick wins could be made for the government? Well, I, I know that it's difficult to implement for businesses, but one thing about VAT is that it tends to be one of the fairer taxes. So when you look at the way in which people are taxed in this country, you've got very unfair taxes and quite fair ones. From a consumer perspective, VAT is fairly distributed, if that makes sense. Yes. Um, I would say, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure I'd want, I'd want to lower VAT, definitely. Um, especially in a no-deal scenario, it would be a great way if there's any tariffs introduced um, on consumers, you could offset that by lowering VAT mm. across the board. That'd be fantastic. Um, but I think there, are, in terms of taxes to simplify, there'd be some other ones that I'd be um, more keen to get that on. I think, for example, council tax, um, which business, a lot of businesses do pay as well. Yes. It is one of the worst designed taxes in the country. Mm. It's mm. not based on your ability to pay, um, and it goes up by an extortionate amount every year. Um, and it, it's also quite unfair if you're an individual, you pay council tax, but your bills collected. Businesses that pay the council tax sometimes don't actually get those benefits yes. as well. So then the council are also charging them for all kinds of things, which is ridiculous. Mm. Um, and I think for those who um, perhaps haven't yet started their business, the, the scale of um, non-domestic rates is horrific. Mm, yeah. So very broadly, if you look at the rent you're paying on a lease, 40% of that will be on top of that for your business rates. And that's a staggering amount. Yeah, that's for an average household, if we were to translate that to uh, residential property, mm. if they're paying, let's say, a thousand pounds rent, that would be four hundred pounds council tax, and that, you know, that is the very highest of the domestic council tax bands, isn't it? Yeah, and and uh, it's not just also about um, taxes; it's also about you know, regulation mm. and things. That I think 
as for apprenticeships, for example, it's very regulated by the government. So the government kind of sets here are the apprenticeships, here's what you can and cannot do. I think businesses should have more control over that whole scheme. I think if you, you know, if your business is unique and you want to train a young person, you should be more in control of that process. Um, and the apprenticeship would be was terrible all the states, especially just the tax. Um, and so I think skill is another area where the government getting out of the way a little bit might help, mm. but also changing the education system a little bit. I don't think it's necessarily the, the perfect. So I went to school in Australia. I think it's probably very similar to how schools over here. Um, businesses are actually at the forefront of, of training young people. So some businesses are working with getting coding in schools, um, getting those tech skills in schools, because the jobs of tomorrow haven't really even been invented yet. Like technology is going to move so quickly. And if I was, you know, I don't have any children now, but I, I think if I ever do, I'll be keep telling them to learn how to code or, sure. or really, you know, get to roots of that. And you know, Shakespeare is very important, but I think the, the education system needs to include, you know, education, technology and, and those future jobs. I'm not sure it's doing that right now. Fantastic. So uh, what I'm going to do now, Chloe, if it's okay, I'm going to take a step back because we all know deep down what we would do if we were Prime Minister. You yeah. know, we, we know the decisions we would make and um, what, we, what we'd make a legal at all. Um, but, but realistically, from a, um, from a listener's perspective, if you know, they've got um, particularly strong views about any of these things, how can they as an individual make a difference from your perspective? It's a really good question. I, my whole job is just trying to get people to listen to these ideas. So when the government's considering introducing a new tax, you know, I'll be the, on, on the radio or, or emailing them saying, please don't, hear all the reasons why. Um, usually getting in touch with your own opinion is the most effective way sure. because they do read all their emails. Um, I probably wouldn't suggest trying to lobby particular ministers mm. or, or departments, they probably have too much to do. Yes. Um, but yeah, getting in touch with your MP, especially if you're a local small business, they'll want to meet with you. Um, because if you're an elected representative, part of you know listening to the community and listening to local businesses, and actually CMPs stand up all the time in Parliament and say, on the weekend I met this wonderful business in my constituency and they told me X, Y, and Z. So that, that's often one of the best ways to, to get the ear of the government to go through your MP. Sure. Okay. So um, talking about the government, we're going we're gonna to shift slightly to the government's views on business. Now, it staggers me to see a Conservative government that, um, to my eyes, seems to be very pro-corporate but anti-business. It's um, strange, isn't it? Yeah. Do you, do you see the same? I see the same in politics in general. It's the demonisation of enterprise. Mm. And I just don't understand it. Because I, I think technocrats are kind of in the past, and the people that are really changing the world are innovators. Yeah, so think, you, you've probably got more of an ear to this stuff than I have. Would you say that this is simply a um, byproduct of the fact that the government have got too much on their hands with Brexit and can't really focus on anything else? Or do, do you believe that it's perhaps more of a deliberate decision to uh, you know, put, put down small business to suppress it? and actually force everyone towards the traditional employment model. Oh yeah, I mean, there's so many factors at play. You've got, uh, I think the election really scared the Conservatives. Mm. And the response to that has been, well, maybe we need to sound more left-wing. And I don't think that's the correct answer. I, I think you need to stand up for your ideas, and if you pander to their language or their worldviews, you're just saying, no, right, so when Theresa May said, we're going to end austerity, 
I mean, austerity was a word that was manufactured by the left mm. to refer to very, very small reduction in spending. Um, so I'm really worried about that. I think the current Conservative Party is moving more towards Ed Miliband and Margaret Thatcher. And I don't know where this anti-business sentiment is coming from. It's almost an anti-capitalism sentiment. I'm shocked at the amount of times I still had to defend the idea of free market capitalism to people in, in London, in Westminster. Um, I'm concerned about this because if you look at human history, the societies that are really thrived and you know, the places where living centers are highest are free market economies. Yes. And, and that's why I do what I do. I really think when you leave people to spend their own money for themselves and to freely trade with each other, you not only get living centers improved, but you get some incredible inventions. Like I would say that you know, something a service like Uber or Spotify has done more to change the lives of, of young people and uh, especially those low incomes than say you know any bureaucrat. I mean, I think businesses solve problems, and at the moment the instinct is for government to solve problems. So society has a problem with X. What is the government doing about it? Um, well, it's, historically it's been businesses predominantly that come up with solutions to problems. Um, so, for example, in climate change, there are a lot of private industry, a lot of private industry looking for how to make renewable energy cheaper and affordable so that it can you know, be, be used by ordinary people. I think it would be the free market that comes up with the kind of, so not solution to climate change, but with these new renewable energy. Absolutely. Have they even taken self-employment down to um, the very basic lower level, so the gig economy? Mm. You know, clearly that's been a big shift. It's going to continue to be a shift until... If um, certainly if Jeremy Corbyn or um, even on the face of it, Theresa May get their own way, it would be illegal to be self-employed. Yeah, it really looks like it's heading down that way, doesn't it? Um, But actually, it's more of a societal change in the way we do things as well, that we're moving away from the nine to five. So I think that um, 100% of our listeners, whilst they might not agree with every one of your political views, uh, they will agree with your um, views about free market economy, self-employment, etc., is the way forwards and um, and actually is a positive choice that people make rather than a tax driven decision. Absolutely. I, I think it takes a lot of guts to start a business. I, I certainly haven't had the guts to do that yet. Would you, would you ever have the guts to do it? Uh, I think I'd have to find something that I was passionate enough about. So I'd have to find a problem that I had the solution to and then put all my time and energy into it. I think that's kind of what I've seen a lot of my entrepreneurs do. Sure. I'm obsessed with I see a problem in society, I see something people need, I've got the answer, and then don't give up until mm. people hear what they have to say. And it takes a lot of guts, and you're taking a risk, this is a personal risk, you're often investing your own money in this. And so that's why I strongly believe there should be a reward for taking that risk. Um, I think in some higher tax benefits, people are paying about 60% of their income to Oh, yes, state. yes. And I'm thinking, why would you go out and try and start a business or risk capital if when you do start to make a lot of money, the state's going to take over half of it away. Mm. That doesn't seem right to me. And I think if you let a lot of small businesses and entrepreneurs keep more of their money, they would invest that in either employing new staff or investing it back into the business. Um, or just enjoying it as a reward for taking a risk and contributing to the economy. Sure. So, um, Chloe, what we'll do now is we'll um, touch on social media, um, one of um, both of our favourite subjects. Um, but to start with, let, let's address the elephant in the room of who funds you. Who funds um, TPA? Listen, so I, I, 
when I see this question being directed at you, I just want to dive in and say, well, Chloe funds Chloe <laughs> in the same way as I fund myself and you know, most other people fund themselves. Um, but who, who does fund the TPA? Well, so we're a political group um, and we get thousands of donations from individuals. Um, some people give five pounds a year, others give a bit more. Um, we just, we believe what we believe. We put it out there and then people donate so that we keep going. Sure. Um, so yeah, I think the who funds your question, I think there's a concern that maybe we're kind of, you know, working for some you know, corporate body or something. It adds it to some yes. cases to really us. Um, so I, I would really encourage anyone who listens to what I'm saying to go on our website and have a look at our um, spending plan, which is basically how we would reform the tax code and what areas of spending we cut. And that's what we what that, that, that's our position that we've had for years. And if you do like that and you agree with it, then yeah, go ahead and donate. <laughs> we're a really salty investment zero. We're about uh, twelve people, um, and we're one of the only people that go on receiving corporate lower taxes. I've never been in the majority. I've done so many shows and, and you know, radio things where there's been three kind of borderline socialists spend more money, and then I'm saying, well, maybe we should cut taxes. Um, and they'll look at me like I'm an evil mm. human being. But also, <laughs> also, I think there, there's the other side to this. But let, let's be honest, nobody likes paying more tax than they have to pay. You know, I, I've not met a single person, regardless of political views, who volunteers to pay more money. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure these panellists that you come across don't volunteer to pay more money. No, they want someone else to pay. So they're mm. just thinking in their mind, well, we just need the corporations to pay. I'm like, well, no, corporations are just people. And there's a very real issue, you know, with, let's say, Jeremy Corbyn, for the many, not the few. Um, I used to dismiss that as if the ups corporation tax to 26%, but before the many, in Luxembourg. Because yeah, one, one of the risks that we face now, um, and I'd appreciate your views on this, is but we are in a globalised economy where, um, whether we like it or not, corporates can choose where to declare some of their money. Absolutely, and I think this is what the EU are really afraid of, actually. They're really afraid that the UK will deregulate mm. and lower taxes. They've actually said this would create an unfair advantage for British business. That sounds really good for me. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think Britain could be really competitive post Brexit if it decided to diverge. But the EU are really pushing for harmonisation of tax and or regulations uh, because they do fear that. Now, I'd, I'd like to see some politicians have the guts to say um, that they, they would like to see a kind of Singapore model in, in the UK. I think that'd be fantastic. The one concern, so when I say we should lower taxes and, and leave without a deal and, and have a Singapore style economy, people say, well, it's also abuses of workers' rights in Singapore, it's not good for the bottom. And, and I'd agree with that. Um, it, it's not a, you, know, you don't have to copy everything that they do. I think you'd still have those uh, workers' rights actually enshrined in UK law sure. to protect that. But what I'm talking about is getting rid of some of the unnecessary regulations and lowering taxes. Okay, so um, one last subject before we go to the rapid fire questions, and um, I haven't prepared you for rapid fire questions. No, you haven't. Um, so you, you will be absolutely fine with them, I'm sure. Um, but when we talk about social media, you know, I've, um, I've noticed that you've done tremendously well insofar as creating engagement amongst your audience. And now it's not always the best engagement, um, but what tips would you have for business owners on handling social media, both positively and negatively? Well, I, I think if someone gets in touch with you for the genuine question, you should always try and answer it. Sure. So if someone disagrees with me on the topic, but they have a really good question, I do actually engage mm. because they're asking in good faith. Um, I do get complaints about my views. It's a little bit different to getting a complaint about business. Sure. But I try to 
deal in, in good humour. Um, one, one thing I've seen a lot of companies do is um, use humour to get other people on side. So they've got an angry customer get in touch. And then the business account will just say, oh, well, you know, you've got crap hair or something. Funny. Yes. And then they've got to retweet that and go, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this company you know, has the guts to make fun of someone. So I'm not saying, you know, make fun of someone, but humour is often the best way. And be human. And be human. Absolutely. Okay, brilliant. So, rapid fire questions. The first one is, if you were to set the mastermind group with three other people, mm. um, so they can be living or dead, uh, they can be fictional, non-fictional, who would you choose to be a mastermind group? Mastermind group. Um, so the last person that ever worked with is Dominic Cummings. Okay. He's campaign director at Oleave, very, very intelligent. Um, oh, Steve Jobs. Sure. I watched a lot of his videos, I like the way he thinks, he's the world, very, very smart. He's a nutcase though, isn't he? <laughs> well, you mean you can drink from people. Um, okay, a really sensible person as well, maybe a scientist. Brian Cox. Excellent. Although he doesn't really like my voice that he used to Yes. Well, do you know, I, I always say for my mastermind group on um, either Donald Trump or Jeremy Corbyn, mm. just to understand how they've um, sort of embraced that public opinion and how they've treated that movement. Mm. And I don't particularly agree with Eva's views. They are similar in that, aren't they? Mm. Able to get people excited about politics. Yes. Okay, so the next one, what book is the book that you've gifted to the most people? I haven't physically bought copies of this book, but I've recommended it to many people. 12 Rules for Life by John Peterson. Okay. Do you know, it's on, my favourite one. It's on my Christmas list. <laughs> if you see a cat, you should go out and pet it. Okay. It's a little opportunity. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, Chloe, the next one that I'm going to ask you is, what is the, the best bit of advice that you've been given in your life? It's a tough one. Very recently, um, my dad said to me, uh, he heard this somewhere, I don't take criticism from people outside the ring, which which really helped me. So from my perspective, it's about politics, but I suppose mm. it applies to business as well. Let's take criticism from people who are doing what you're doing, sure. not from people on the sidelines saying, well, I would have done that differently. Listen, only take real criticism from people who have been brave enough as you have to put yourself out there. Okay, and the final one is, what bit of advice do you believe that business owners could take from political world? Because obviously, everyone has a view on politicians. Generally, people believe politicians um, to be probably banking up there with salespeople, uh, state <laughs> agents. You know, the, the view of politicians is the best, but actually, there's a lot to be learned. What, what do you think the one learning that business owners could take from watching politicians is? Politicians do a lot of listening. They they go to surgeries every week and they just they just basically have all these meetings with people that come in to have a go at them or get to help them with a problem. And I think that's a healthy thing. If you're making decisions on behalf of a lot of people, listening a lot to lots of different kind of people. Fantastic. Chloe, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, if the listeners want to hear more from you, where where can they find you? Oh, you can find me on Twitter, at Lodax Chloe. Fantastic. Chloe, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Carl Reader Show. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and tell your friends. This podcast was brought to you by our sponsor, D&T Advisory.
helping you unlock the magic in your business by adding value, not numbers. Find out more at www.team-dt.com. QuickBooks, helping UK small businesses stay on top of their finances.